Day 2 of Totus Tuus' Novena On John Paul II's Encyclical Ecclesia de Eucharistia I would like to rekindle this Eucharistic amazement by the present encyclical letter in continuity with the Jubilee heritage which I have left to the Church in the apostolic letter Novo Millennio Innuente and its Marian crowning, Rosarium Virginis Mariae. To contemplate the face of Christ, and to contemplate it with Mary, is the program which I have set before the Church at the dawn of the third millennium, summoning her to put out into the deep on the sea of history with the enthusiasm of the new evangelization. To contemplate Christ involves being able to recognize him wherever he manifests himself, in his many forms of presence, but above all, in the living sacrament of his body and his blood. The Church draws her life from Christ in the Eucharist. By him she is fed, and by him she is enlightened. The Eucharist is both a mystery of faith and a mystery of light. Whenever the Church celebrates the Eucharist, the faithful can in some way relive the experience of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. From the time I began my ministry as the successor of Peter, I have always marked Holy Thursday, the day of the Eucharist and of the priesthood by sending a letter to all the priests of the world. This year, the 25th of my pontificate, I wish to involve the whole Church more fully in this Eucharistic reflection, also as a way of thanking the Lord for the gift of the Eucharist and the priesthood, gift and mystery. By proclaiming the year of the Rosary, I wish to put this, my 25th anniversary, under the aegis of the contemplation of Christ at the School of Mary. Consequently, I cannot let this Holy Thursday 2003 pass without halting before the Eucharistic face of Christ and pointing out with new force to the Church the centrality of the Eucharist. From it, the Church draws her life. From this living bread, she draws her nourishment. How could I not feel the need to urge everyone to experience it ever anew? When I think of the Eucharist and look at my life as a priest, as a bishop, and as the successor of Peter, I naturally recall the many times and places in which I was able to celebrate it. I remember the parish church of Nigovice, where I had my first pastoral assignment, the collegiate church of St. Florian in Krakow, Favel Cathedral, St. Peter's Basilica, and so many basilicas and churches in Rome and throughout the world. I have been able to celebrate Holy Mass in chapels built along mountain paths on lake shores and sea coasts. I have celebrated it on altars built in stadiums and in city squares. This varied scenario of celebrations of the Eucharist has given me a powerful experience of its universal and, so to speak, cosmic character. 
yes, cosmic. Because even when it is celebrated on the humble altar of a country church, the Eucharist is always in some way celebrated on the altar of the world. It unites heaven and earth. It embraces and permeates all creation. The Son of God became man in order to restore all creation in one supreme act of praise to the one who made it from nothing. He, the eternal high priest who by the blood of his cross entered the eternal sanctuary, thus gives back to the Creator and Father all creation redeemed. He does so through the priestly ministry of the Church, to the glory of the Most Holy Trinity. Truly, this is the Mysterium Fidei, which is accomplished in the Eucharist. The world, which came forth from the hands of God the Creator, now returns to Him, redeemed by Christ. The Eucharist, as Christ's saving presence in the community of the faithful and its spiritual food, is the most precious possession which the Church can have in her journey through history. This explains the lively concern which she has always shown for the Eucharistic mystery, a concern which finds authoritative expression in the work of the councils and the popes. How can we not admire the doctrinal expositions of the decrees on the Most Holy Eucharist and on the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, promulgated by the Council of Trent? For centuries those decrees guided theology and catechesis, and they are still a dogmatic reference point for the continual renewal and growth of God's people in faith and in love for the Eucharist. In times closer to our own, three and six letters should be mentioned. The encyclical Mirai Caritatis of Leo XIII, 28th of May 1902. The encyclical Mediator Dei of Pius XII, 20th of November 1947. And the encyclical Mysterium Fidei of Paul VI, 3rd of September 1965. The Second Vatican Council while not issuing a specific document on the Eucharistic mystery, considered its various aspects throughout its documents, especially the dogmatic constitution on the Church, Lumen Gentium, and the constitution on the sacred liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium. I myself, in the first years of my apostolic ministry in the chair of Peter, wrote the apostolic letter, Dominici Chenai, the 24th of February 1980, in which I discussed some aspects of the Eucharistic mystery and its importance for the life of those who are its ministers. Today I take up anew the thread of that argument, with even greater emotion and gratitude in my heart, echoing, as it were, the word of the psalmist. What shall I render to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. The Magisterium's commitment to proclaiming the Eucharistic mystery has been matched by interior growth within the Christian community. Certainly, the liturgical reform inaugurated by the Council 
has greatly contributed to a more conscious, active and fruitful participation in the holy sacrifice of the altar on the part of the faithful. In many places, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament is also an important daily practice and becomes an inexhaustible source of holiness. The devout participation of the faithful in the Eucharistic procession on the solemnity of the body and blood of Christ is a grace from the Lord which yearly brings joy to those who take part in it. Other positive signs of Eucharistic faith and love might also be mentioned. Unfortunately, alongside these lights, there are also shadows. In some places, the practice of Eucharistic adoration has been almost completely abandoned. In various parts of the Church, abuses have occurred, leading to confusion with regard to sound faith and Catholic doctrine concerning this wonderful sacrament. At times, one encounters an extremely reductive understanding of the Eucharistic mystery. Stripped of its sacrificial meaning, it is celebrated as if it were simply a fraternal banquet. Furthermore, the necessity of the ministerial priesthood grounded in apostolic succession, is at times obscured, and the sacramental nature of the Eucharist is reduced to its mere effectiveness as a form of proclamation. This has led here and there to ecumenical initiatives which, albeit well-intentioned, indulge in Eucharistic practices contrary to the discipline by which the Church expresses her faith. How can we not express profound grief at all this? The Eucharist is too great a gift to tolerate ambiguity and depreciation. It is my hope that the present encyclical letter will effectively help to banish the dark clouds of unacceptable doctrine and practice, so that the Eucharist will continue to shine forth in all its radiant mystery. Let us pray. Bonne pastor, panis veri, Jesu, nostri miserere. Come then, good shepherd, bread divine, still show to us thy mercy sign. O feed us, still keep us thine, so we may see thy glory shine in fields of immortality. O thou, the wisest, mightiest, best, our present food, our future rest. Come, make us each thy chosen guest, co-heirs of thine and comrades blessed, with saints whose dwelling is with thee. Mary, woman of the Eucharist, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.